You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. All right, we are going to get into God's Word today, and we are in Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 7. So we're going to be reading Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 through 14. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance and have been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. As we have been doing in this series, we are going to have a testimony today, and uh, we're going to change up the format of that testimony just a little bit. I'm going to actually uh, ask questions of uh, the person that is going to share their testimony today and allow her to answer some of those questions. So it's almost kind of like an interview type process today, which is a little bit different than the format that we have used up until this time. But I'm going to ask Yvette to join me up front today, and she is going to share some of her testimony with us today. We are talking about rejection, and I asked Yvette specifically to be here uh, during this particular part of the series. And uh, she and I have had the privilege of talking together over time about some of her uh, family dynamics and some of the issues that she has battled uh, in in her walk with the Lord. And so, um, if you will, Yvette, what I'd like for you to do, first of all, is I would like for you to just describe a little bit of your family background, like growing up, some of those things that were um, things that were like coming into your spirit during that time, the, the perfectionism and, and the performance and the rejection and those kinds of things. If you could just like briefly encapsulate that for us, that would be really helpful. Okay. Um, I grew up in a family of six and I, I was the, I am, or I was because I lost two siblings. I was the fifth of the sixth. And in our family, um, my parents were very driven and we were pushed to achieve higher, better, and we had to outperform ourselves, and that's kind of how um, you were accepted by what you've done. If your performance was not good enough, I, I felt at least that I was rejected and not accepted. And growing up, um, I could see that things were laid out for me. There was a plan. This is what you're going to do. This is how far you're going to go. This is how much you have to make, and Based on that, this is how I will love you. And driven by that, I try to achieve only to find myself falling short of the expectations that were put on me. And because of that, I always felt, not always, till Christ redeemed me, I always felt a little rejected and not fully accepted for who I was or who I am. Yeah. 
talk to them a little bit about what were the kind of fears that started to develop and rise up in you as you were growing up under this kind of pressure? Given the way I was raised up, one of the fears that I had was not wanting to get married because I could see myself re replicating the same things on my kids. That was one of the things I did not want to find myself in a relationship where I'll have to have kids and have to be responsible for that. I didn't feel like I was equipped enough or I was able to raise the family and raise them right. And in so doing, um, with my kids too, I went through a phase, and I think the last time when we talked about, when I gave my testimony, I talked a little bit about that. And today is kind of like version, version 10.5. We are all being refined. And today, I mean, I, I don't still have the same struggles, but we all do. We go through a phase where God is refining us to take us to that place where he wants us to be. And with my kids, too, I find, found myself replicating those things at times. And those, are, those were the fears I had. And at the time, I was, and I talked openly about it, saying, I feel like I am not good enough. I'm not a good enough mom for the kids. I'm not doing a good enough work. And that was hard. And that was one of my fears to where I was saying, what are they going to be? How are they going to be? How are they going to perform? And as putting that type of pressure on myself, the kids could feel it as well. Mm -hmm. And those were the fears I had. And I also have the fear of not doing, uh, doing a good enough job as a wife, as an employee, as a manager, Anything that I did, the fear was there. Are you measuring up? So relationships were affected all mm -hmm. across the, the board. Absolutely. Can you articulate some of the lies that you started to believe uh, that, 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 that kind of came in on you during this time? During that time, I started believing that in order to please God, I also had to perform. Mm. I also had to um, kind of earn my salvation. You had to do... Um, be perfect, and that was one of the things I, I thought. I thought everything had to be done in a prescribed way, and it had to be perfect. And as we all know, perfection is an illusion, you know. And it's also as perfect as you see it. And my perfect might not be your perfect, and that's where we need to come to know that God doesn't expect perfection from us, but what He wants us to do is to be who he's called us to do. And we can only be that through the blood of Jesus that redeemed us and washed us and allow us to enter the kingdom of God as his daughters and sons. Okay. Um, you've talked to me more about how that there has been redemption mm -hmm. for you. And you have specific sort of moments or places where there has been redemption, where God has done this work of deliverance for you. Could, could you close things out by just talking a little bit? What are, what are some of those like pathways of deliverance? And uh, what, what is, how has God been at work in this redemption, especially you as a mother and, re, you know, working through this redemption? Yeah. Um, my mom passed away um, about two months ago. Mm -hmm. And last year I felt compelled to go home. Tell them where home is. So my home is in Cameroon, so in the central western part of Africa. So my mom passed away last year, um, two months ago, but last year I was compelled to go home. And um, I told my husband, I said, if I don't go home, I think I'm going to lose it. 
not knowing what was going to take place once I got there. And when I got there, um, I was able to, when I got there, one of the apprehensions I had was um, my mom was going to ask me, okay, where are you? Or what are you doing now? Or She really did not care. She didn't mention any of that. What she said was, I am happy you're here. Which is different than Absolutely. previous times yes. when you had encounters with your mom. Mm -hmm. yep. She said, I am happy you're here and I'm happy for who you've become. And she didn't really ask me what I do or who I work for or what I do for a job. So that was behind. And during that time, we were able to have very deep conversation, conversation I never thought would happen with my mom. And during that time, redemption truly happened to where she was able to open up and um, acknowledge things that she's done that were not right. And she asked for forgiveness. And she also allowed me to open up and love her. And I was able to love my mom in a way I've never done before. And because of that, going home for the funeral was um, easier because I... The previous year, I was able to mend my relationship with my mother. Being able to love her as a mother, being able to love her as a child of God, being able to um, find ourselves in, at the feet of God, sharing our faith together. And uh, the last time when I saw my mom, she was sitting on a, on a chair, and it was time for me to come back home. And I said, well, mom, will you bless me? And she said, of course, and she put her hand on my head and she prayed for me. And that's the last thing my mom did for me. And that is the, and sorry, and that is the, the confirmation that uh, our relationship was mended and I didn't really have to do anything for it. And for those who know me, I tried since the time I entered this country to have my mom come. And I think having her come here would have affirmed again that I needed to do something in order for her to accept me as a person. And I believe maybe God didn't allow that to happen, to let me know that I didn't have to do anything to earn her love, that he was able to mend that relationship. He was able to make it happen in his term or not my terms. Yeah. And the other thing, too, that allowed me to kind of conquer that is in my mind uh, my, in my head. My head can be a bad neighborhood, just like any of yours. <laughs> I mean, if, if we are not renewing our mind with the word of God, our head could be very, a very, very bad place. But because of that, I try to renew my mind constantly with what God says I am, Amen. what God says I could be, what I can achieve through Christ, and that I am accepted, not because of what I do, but because I am through Christ. And because of that, I am able to kind of I am able to win battles here. Great. One, one last question, quick question here. And you're talking about renewing with the mind, which is a big part of the sermon material, yes, on, on rejection, but also another big part of the sermon material on rejection is forgiveness as opposed to unforgiveness. And you haven't mentioned that yet. I know it's in there, but can you talk for just a second here about how that played a role in you being able to go to be with your mom and, and to receive and even have the courage to ask for the blessing and that sort of thing. I truly believe that um, had I not been able to receive the forgiveness from God, I wouldn't have been able to ask for forgiveness from my mom. It has to happen there first. If it doesn't take place with God, there is no way we can give what we don't have. 
And once we receive what God has given us, we're able to give it back to other people around us. And what I, the process was fairly long, and I think we talked mm-hmm. about it. But I was able to receive for forgiveness through um, Christ first, and also starting talking to people about openly about what was happening, mm-hmm. or where I was finding myself, or things that were coming against me, and I wasn't able to successfully. Uh, not necessarily tame them, but successfully battle them. And I was able to also acknowledge that I am not able to um, carry this battle alone. And I needed the support. I needed the prayer. I needed people to come around me. And I, not necessarily assure me that I am forgiven, but just standing up with me. And going home to you, I was able to say, um, if mom doesn't forgive me, I know I am forgiven, and I am willing to release the forgiveness. And because of that, I think I was freer to receive whatever was coming my way. And when I went home, um, surely I was afraid, I was apprehensive of what could come out of it, but God exceeded my expectations by giving me way much more than I was expecting. And because of that, I was able to go through a grieving process that was much better than it would have been had that not happened, taken place. Amen. So, Yvette, thank you so much. Thank you. Yes. Well, let's talk about this thing of rejection for a little bit. And uh, we've looked at a passage in Ephesians which doesn't use the term rejection. It doesn't say a lot about rejection, but it is a a passage of Scripture that Paul uses to affirm and reaffirm our identity that we have in Christ, okay? Um, And there's something about rejection that that has such an intense uh, hold or grip um, that moves us really away from God. The whole intent of rejection is this idea of separation, all right, and moving someone away from positionally where they are in God. And so if you recall, as Wade read the passage to you, uh, you would have heard a recurring theme or a recurring phrase. It's almost like it's, it's Paul's mantra uh, for this particular book uh, in Ephesians, and it is, in him, in him we have redemption, In him, in him all things are united and brought together. In him, in him we have obtained an inheritance, all right? In him, when we have heard the truth, we are in him sealed by the Holy Spirit, okay? So there's this idea that we have a positional place that is in him, all right? It is in Christ, and that's where we have to live, if you will. That's where we have to to position ourselves, that's where we sit, that's where we stand, that's where we rest, that's where we work and do and think and be and all of that. It is in Christ, all right? And so anytime the enemy uses something in your life to try to move you away from him or out of him, then we're in a dangerous place, all right? It is absolutely essential that you and I, in overcoming a spirit of rejection, and I use that term very seriously, Uh, This is something the enemy uses, and he constantly bombards people, uh, especially in your places of pain or trauma, especially going back historically into your childhood. He will hit those places and continually try to batter you there. And the way he batters you or 
hits you and comes against you is to continually try to lie to you so that you will begin to believe that lie and that lie is something that says you are not in him. You are not with him. You have not been accepted by him. And those are the kind of lies that we battle. And sometimes it is really overt and you can like see it and you and you can just go oh well that's stupid you know and and you and you move on you know but a lot of times it's not a lot of times it's covert it's much more sort of underneath it's much more subtle and sometimes even sophisticated and the enemy uses these experiences or these memories or these painful places to continually try and reinforce a lie that he is trying to get you and I to believe okay Now, what is rejection? Rejection, um, uh, first of all, who hasn't experienced it on some level? We experience rejection all of our lives, and we are going to, all right? Uh, and, And we feel that pain. We feel that sting of rejection all the time. But rejection is when you feel that you have not been received, or you have not been accepted, or you even have not been valued at some level that you feel you should be valued at, that maybe everyone should be valued at, all right? Or you feel in some way that you have been left out, or that you have been set aside, or that you have been put apart from everyone else in a situation or a circumstance, okay? And, and there may be right now even a personal situation or an experience that's just kind of like already coming to your mind and you're going, Pastor, come on, don't make me go down that path again. Don't make me look at that again. Uh, honestly, when I went to Yvette, Yvette looked at me uh, and I knew, I knew what, what she was thinking. No, don't make me do this again, you know? Uh, and I didn't make her do it. She willingly came forth to to share. Uh, And I encouraged Yvette, as I have some others of you, that you have a story, all right? And we said that early on in this series, is that we have stories, and these are stories to be told, all right? Not to to pull up mess and not to to vilify a family member or or someone else in our lives in authority in some place in time, but it is to tell a story so that we all identify with the hardship of life and, and the intrusion of sin, but also that we can identify with the way out and what God does and his intent to deliver us and set us free, which is the most important part of that, okay? And that's been the great beauty of these testimonies is when you not only can describe the hardship or the sin moment, but you can say, but God, and there is a way out of that place for you and the battle or the struggle that you've been in, okay? And we can experience this. And some, there's some of you here sitting here today they're in this room. I've asked others to give testimonies, and they've, they've literally looked at me and went, Ugh, I'll think about it, all right? And a few of you are still thinking. We won't call any names, okay? But, but the reality is we don't like going there. You know, we don't like... Bringing that back up. We don't like looking. We don't enjoy looking at that again and again. And I don't want you doing that. I don't want you dwelling in the place of rejection. I don't want you thinking about it too much. Because that's where you begin to listen once again to the father of all lies. And you begin to entertain these things that you once believed. All right? And you've been set free from that. Don't go back into that bondage, all right? This is what Paul tells us. Don't go back into the very bondage that Jesus paid the price to free you out of, all right? Don't live in that kind of place. Live in the truth of 
who you are and what God has appropriated for you through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, all right? And so I'm not asking you to visit those places so you feel bad again, but I'm asking you to let God take you to those places in order that if there is unfinished business and healing that needs to be done and forgiveness that needs to be given and received, that you are capable of doing that with the grace of God being appropriated in that moment, but also then that out of your healing, you become the individual who the Bible says you now comfort those who are afflicted with the same comfort by which you have been comforted already. In other words, you've gone through it. You're on the other side of it. You're experiencing the faithfulness of God in your life. And so in that place, you have a story, and it is a redemption story. All right, you have, I'm not saying it's, good, it, it's a great experience for you to share. And some of the things are, are very vulnerable when we share them. Some of the things are embarrassing when we share them. But the reality is that God is getting the glory in this. And so we crucify ourselves in a sense, so that God gets the ultimate glory in that I am no longer there. That is not my identity. I don't live in that place anymore. That is not who I am. And the circumstances of my history do not dictate who I am. The reality of what God has done on the cross is absolute validation of who and what I am. And that is the identity that I live in. And so if the enemy says you're rejectable, you're defective, you're whatever, you live outside of that and in the reality of who Christ says you are. And these circumstances and these situations and sources of rejection can be very difficult, and they can come from all kinds of places. It can be peer rejection. It can, can be ridicule from people that you actually loved and trusted. It can be uh, rejection inside of marriage. It can be abandonment. It can be abuse, all right? Even those in, in, in your families, we are very pro-adoption in this church, all right? We advocate for adoption. We encourage adoption among families in the church. We raise money to support those families who are going through adoptions and help them pay for those adoptions. We preach adoption from the pulpit in sermons, all right? We are very much a people of adoption, and we are all adopted into the kingdom of God, of course, all right? But those children in our congregation who are in adoptive families can experience rejection, and, and, and the families can be doing everything possible to love that child and encourage that child and bless that child, but that child can still feel that rejection because of having not had their birth parents or, or being in their, their, their birth family, all right? And so they, they have no control over, over that at all, all right? But adoption can be a place where rejection can be felt very much. Um, uh, attempted abortion is, an, is, is a big issue for some individuals, and they know that they were not wanted at birth, all right? And, and, and they can go through rejection in, in big ways, all right? Uh, wrong gender. Some of you were born in a family, and your mom or your dad said, well, I wanted the other sex. You know, you're a, you're a beautiful young woman, but daddy wanted a boy, and you feel rejection because of that, or vice versa, you know, those kinds of things. Um, disabilities, if you have disabilities in, in your life, this church embraces people with disabilities of all kinds, and we love you, all right? And we want to be sensitive to the reality that there may be people out there who have or, or will reject you because of that place in your life, and we want to affirm you and call you to the, who you are in Christ and your ability as a follower of Jesus Christ and what you are capable of accomplishing there. 
there, all right? And there can be many other things, all right? Some of these things are things that you never would have dreamed could have happened to you, and yet they intersected your life. Now, rejection has a powerful way of forging, uh, just, just coming in, damaging people's lives, and not only damaging an individual, but damaging the people around them. It's a very sad fact, but there are a number of people who are affected by rejection in our lives in very staggering ways, and it's really hard for some people to escape that dynamic uh, when they are in a family where there is real intrusive and traumatic rejection that is going on, okay? And you could be in one of those kinds of families. You could identify with that, all right? And many of you, when you have faced rejection, um, whether that's like abuse as a child or, or in your youth or maybe you're growing up into something and, and, and there are deep wounds in your soul where your mind is being affected, your emotions are being affected, your will is being affected. Um, but even more, what happens as we get older and as we go uh, without this being dealt with, we, we don't deal with the rejection and we don't bring it to God, is that there is oftentimes collateral damage that takes place. And by that, I mean that Hurting people hurt others. And so sometimes, even though you didn't intend to do it, and you are a child of God, and you are full of the Spirit of God, your flesh begins to rule out of the rejection and the, and the false identity, and you actually hurt someone else because you are simply hurting yourself. And this can manifest even in, in good, strong, solid, Bible-believing Christians. But there are things like anger and bitterness, even self-hatred, self-pity, uh, things like insignificance and inferiority that Pastor Dave preached about last Sunday, fear and isolation, people needing to be in, in major control mode, all right? Emotional withdrawal, people just not wanting to be around anybody else and want to hermitize themselves, all right? Uh, different kinds of self-gratification and escaping. Uh, porn would be one of those kinds of places, all right? Unholy comforts and comforters that can lead us to addictive behaviors in our lives, all right? Performance-based values like what Yvette talked about today. All of these things can, can be things that, that really just get in, and you may not even realize the amount of collateral damage that is going on around you as a result of these sorts of things, all right? And all of the responsive, responsives that I've just talked about with you can have very serious consequences in your life and the lives of others. And so one of the things I want you to get today as we talk about this, and please understand, I'm going to do a two-part series here, and today I'm just laying the foundation for this today, and I'm going to talk much more deeper about it next Sunday with you, okay? Um, but, but one of the things that I want you to, to grab a hold of today is that you can choose to live in your identity, or you can choose not to, all right? And I'm calling you to choose to live in it, all right, so as I build this foundation, I'm, I'm trying to help you to see that there's a false identity, there's a false floor that you may be living on, all right, and there's a true identity, there's an anchor, there's a stability that you can live on that will ground you and hold you and you won't fall through, okay? And so that's, that's the platform by which I'm going to work with you today, okay? Um, and, and what happens is that, that there are two... Uh, sort of ultimately devastating outcomes that can come of rejection that I want to talk about with you. Uh, and, and this happens when you live in that identity, 
When you, when you are walking in that place of rejection, when you are living where the enemy has said you are a defect or you are faulty or, or whatever he might say to you, and you allow yourself to feel rejected and you begin to live as though you are rejected, all right? And so your response mechanisms are all out of the rejection, all right? And so that's where the damage happens internally, and then it begins to move out from you, and there's collateral damage as well, all right? But there, there are two devastating outcomes of rejection that I want to bring to your attention today. One is when people cannot receive God's love, all right? This is, this is, this is an awful, horrible place, all right? And, and so people who cannot receive God's love very easily begin to live in a huge uh, amount of fear. And that fear is of God's rejection of them. You know, uh, I've sat down with people in my own family who have, who have come to me and just be bawling and say, I don't know what's wrong with me, but I'm, just, I'm afraid that God's just going to judge me and cast me into hell. I have no reason to believe that. You know, I'm like, I'm like, okay, is there hidden sin in your life? Is there something going on? Is there something deep here that we need to bring to the surface and let's, let's get deliverance? You know, no, I'm, not, I, I'm, what's your devotional life like? I read my Bible every morning. I have a quiet time with God every day. And I go, when does this fear hit you? Every night. You know, what are you doing with it? I just lay in bed and I just, I, I, get, I get nervous and I get anxiety and I, I, I start to, to feel like I can't do anything and my skin crawls and it can get even deeper than that in terms of manifestations. But what I'm saying is there's sort of this anxiety and panic and fear that begins to well up, which none of that is of God. But it's there and it's real because of the fear that is settling in the heart and the soul and the mind of the individual. And that fear is coming because there is a lie that says, God will reject me. God will not accept me. All right? And so this person is choosing to live inside of that lie. And see, that kind of mindset cuts you off from the source of truth. It's very difficult for you to start to believe truth when you are so engrossed in this kind of lie, in this kind of fear, all right? And, and you need to be able to appropriate God's identity for you because that's the only thing that's going to bring you freedom, all right? And, and so you may need the help of someone else in the body of Christ to come along beside you and pray with you and read Scripture to you. And I, I've shared my overall testimony with you, but I'm going to share a little, like, inside testimony in my story with you with this, of how, how, how difficult and challenging this can be. And I know this firsthand. I know this experience that I'm talking to you about right now. When I was in Bible college and I was studying to be a minister of the gospel, all right, I, all of my classes were Bible classes. I was going to chapel every morning. It was required. All right. Um, and I was doing all of those things that Christians do. And all of my friendships, it was a closed circle. It was a very small circle. And they were all Christians. All right. And, and we had a prayer group one night and someone said something to me in the prayer group. And, and it, it, it just didn't register with me well. And I bought into a lie that I might not be saved. And, and that night before the sun rose the next morning, I was hysterical like I had convinced myself by believing a lie of the enemy that I might not be saved everything that that grounded me everything around me was falling apart in that night and I began to get such anxiety and, and fear just overtook me and it was all demonic 
This is not a normal situation. Day to day, I'm a pretty balanced, level-headed guy. But for some reason, I bought something that I never should have bought in the middle of the night, and it consumed me. It ate at me. And by morning, I was so hysterical that my roommates took me. They literally took me down to the counselor's office and set me in a chair and called. I mean, they're like, you got to get down here. You got to talk to him. And different ones, different, different uh, professors were coming to my room and talking to me. And, and for several nights, I had scriptures on tapes being played out loud so I could listen to them because I couldn't go to sleep. And I had guys fasting and praying for me. And I went a number of days in this condition. And finally, in, in such a miraculous way, the grace of God came to me. I opened my Bible and I read, you are more than a conqueror. And I have just said, God, I cannot defeat this. I can't do this. And I'm dying here. I don't have a way out. I feel like I'm in a hole and I don't know where to go. You see, I'm a joyful person. I I come from, from, from fun country. And I, I'm, I usually always am on the joy side. And I drive people crazy because people see it half empty and I see it full and running over. You know, I, that's just the way I am normally. I'm, I am, I'm the happy guy. I'm the positive guy. I was in a hole, a dark hole. And every, all of my friends knew that this was a dangerous place because I had moved so far in such a short amount of time. And they were scared for me. And I read that passage, and it said, you are more than a conqueror. All right, God. Somehow i got to believe you. And I just began to turn to those scriptures that I knew. They were in my heart, and they were in my head. But for some reason, I just couldn't grab a hold of them before that moment. But that moment, hearing that truth from God about who I am, I am more than a conqueror. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb, the testimony of my lips, and the fact that I don't love my life even unto death. And these scriptures began to come, and as they began to come, I could feel the shackles just breaking off of me, so to speak. I felt such a liberty and such a liberation, and I'm like, God, once again, I have faith. And God said, you always had it. You always had it. Now you're appropriating it. All right? But that was the action that I had to take. That's what I had to do to be able to get there, all right? And, and, and the enemy would love nothing more than to have you believe that you are unacceptable to him and that he will reject you. And that is a lie from hell. It is not the will of God that anyone should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of the grace of God. And so God's intent for every one of us is that we know him. The second self-rejection kind of place is when a person not only rejects God, in, in, in essence, by, by lies and deceptions, but when they reject themselves. When you begin to not even love yourself. And the devil would love to get you there. All right, It's one thing to feel that you're rejected by God. It is another deeper thing to reject yourself and discount yourself. All right? And you need to be... That, that's a dangerous place. John testified of this place. John talked about this place in his testimony. When the enemy gets you to believe 
that it is better for you to end your life than to live your life. That lie is straight out of the pit of hell and is a dangerous, dangerous place for you to get to. All right? That's a line you don't want to cross. All right? And, and, and we, can, we can begin to lose our significance. We can begin to lose our, our identity. Um, and and we, we stop feeling that we are loved. And it is a self-imposed prison that you get into, all right? Because you, you're, your next move is to look at how you can set yourself free from this pain and from this woundedness. And that's when the enemy comes in and says, I got your answer. Check out. Just check out. You won't have to feel this pain anymore. You won't have to deal with this anymore. And God is saying, no, I've sent my son to bring you life. I came to give you life and that life abundantly. In other words, I came for you to live and not die. But rejection has the ability to take us into these kinds of places, all right? It has a powerful way of etching this and and damaging this in in your mind and in, in your heart, all right? And not only you, but... It will, it will affect others as well. So I want to leave you today with, with just three things real quick, and I'm going to go back and visit them next week again, okay? But I want to put them in your heart today so you're not just walking away going, well, gosh, Pastor Bill just took us into the pit and just left us there, you know? No, let me, let me pull you out right now real quick, okay, and get you back on solid ground here so that you can go forward this week and, and maybe let, let God speak to you about some of these areas as you are going forward, okay? There are three things that I want to say to you today. Number one is I want you to understand the ability of a transaction, all right? The actual rejection and the pain that comes, the accompanying pain of rejection, is bad enough. The collateral damage uh, is our response to that rejection, and that's where a lot of real uh, injury can take place as well, not only towards us, but towards other people. And so there is this constant need to forgive. If you're operating out of rejection, two things are going to happen. You're going to hurt someone, and someone is going to hurt you, all right? And so you're going to constantly need to forgive others and to ask for forgiveness. And Yvette nailed it, thank you, in her testimony today, uh, that it is very difficult to either give that forgiveness or receive that forgiveness if you have not appropriated richly the forgiveness of Jesus Christ into your own heart. That is a a powerful piece of this, and that is a transaction. God gave everything to do for you what you could not do for yourself. All right? So he gave Jesus, and he took your sin. That's a transaction, see? All right? He removed the guilt and the shame of sin, all right, because he gave his son to die on the cross. So that is a transaction. That's a trade that takes place, all right? It's an eternal transaction, all right? See, I believe that God is complete and God is eternal, so it's not like you going to Yonkers and I'm going to use the ladies as an example here going to Yonkers and you bought the latest coach bag but you got home and you saw that somebody else bought the same coach bag that's in your circle of influence and so you took the receipt and went back and you got a refund because now you don't want the bag. All right, you change your mind. That isn't the way God works, okay? And so we don't have a, a refund system or an exchange system with God, all right? It just doesn't, it, God says, I have given my son for you. And this is an eternal transaction. 
And here's the thing, folks. God doesn't change his mind. God is faithful. All right? He doesn't decide once he's accepted you that, you know what, I really don't like you now, so I'm going to reject you. That doesn't happen. No one is rejected from the love of God. Go back and listen to the sermon in the beginning of the series on the identity that you have in Christ. All right? Get a hold of it. Well, I'm going to bring some of that tomorrow, uh, next Sunday. But, but I want you to understand that this is a powerful place where you positionally live is in your identity in Christ. And that is what Jesus has already done for you on the cross. That is eternal, and it doesn't waver. It doesn't change. It doesn't die. It doesn't stop. It is an action. It has activity all the time. You have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. You are being saved by the work of Christ in your heart daily and you will be saved because when you see him you will be like him this is ongoing all the time and that's where you live in the acceptance of Jesus Christ so you got to learn this idea of transaction and see that this is a permanent work that has taken place and it cannot be reversed for any reason and don't let the devil tell you that it is or that it will be all right and there will be other opportunities for you to exact transactions where you, you confess sin uh, and you receive forgiveness from God and then you declare the gifts of God into your life, all right? That's a transaction that is taking place through forgiveness. You complete a transaction when you realize that you have offended someone or someone has offended you and you go and ask for forgiveness or, or talk to them about the offense and receive forgiveness, that's a transaction that takes place. It's between two people, yes, but it's, an, an, it's a spiritual transaction, so it's an eternal value on it. It's done. It's forgiven. And Jesus says that when I forgive you, I put that act in the lake of forgiveness to not be remembered ever again. All right. So when forgiveness happens, it is forgiven forever and it no longer will be brought up ever again on your behalf. All right. And so even though you may not be able to forgive the offense against you or that you brought against someone else because you were living in that place of rejection, God forgives it and then God forgets it at that point, all right? It is an eternal transaction. You may not be able to forget it in that sense, but you live like Paul the apostle lived, and when he said, this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, I press on. What does that mean? No longer does that action have any power over your decision-making. You've put it behind you, the other person has put it behind them, and you both move on. This is why now you can walk in sync with each other, and you can walk in the Spirit with each other, and you can be in unity with each other, and you can work as the body of Christ together, even though you may have hurt one another along the way because of transaction that has taken place, all right? And that's how we need to be living. So you live out of transaction, all right? And, and the reason we need to understand that is because emotional, spiritual, and mental pain of rejection is so toxic, all right? It gets in you. It poisons your mind. It poisons your spirit. It can even affect you physically. And you need to cleanse that out of your system, spiritually and otherwise, all right? And forgiveness is one of the very fundamental ways to spiritually detox, all right? When you work out forgiveness with one another, it is a powerful cleansing that takes place in your life. It's a powerful work of sanctification that takes place so that you can relate and, and move on and work with one another in the body of Christ and so that you can just feel acceptable before God. 
All right? And you don't have to fight that lie of the enemy. All right? And this isn't about just feelings, but, but feelings affect us. All right? And I want to be able to get you toward the place where the enemy doesn't target those feelings and those emotions and exacerbate them so that they begin to speak to you lies and you begin to believe them because the feelings are so strong. All right? We live in the truth and the reality of who God says we are. And that's the second point. First is transaction, understanding that. The second is truth. All right? Rejection is like it is a seedbed. All right? It just it provides like a, a climate, like a it, it becomes the wrong kind of greenhouse, if you will, all right? It just begins to grow up lies. The lies just begin to flourish, all right? And they just begin to happen all over the place. And before you know it, your brain is just in overload, going crazy with all these lies that the enemy is speaking to you. And you've got to be able to effectively battle that and fight against anything that would contradict the truth that God says about you and about others, all right? And, and this is one of Satan's most effective schemes is to inundate you with lies, starting with very simple little lies, all right? And then just building on that and coming back and reinforcing that with things that you interpret about situations and, and the actions of others that are not even appropriate, all right? And it, it, it's amazing what, what the enemy can get us to do and get us to believe, all right? Um, that I, I think there's probably about three areas where, where Satan directs his lies, and I'll, I'll, I'll share that with you, and then we'll be done today, okay? Uh, but I want you to really understand, these are, these are tactics of the enemy that you need to fight with truth, all right? And that's your, that's your weapon against rejection is truth, all right? And that's, that's where you, you've got to live, all right? But the, the, the first way that the enemy uses lies is, is he lies about God. The enemy will tell you lies about who God is, as if he's the expert on who God is, all right? This is exactly how he assaulted Adam and Eve in the garden, all right? He provided uh, and provoked Eve, if you will. He provided her with information and provoked her to consider that God might not be a good God, that he might not be desiring her best, that he might actually be withholding from her, that he might not act, be totally acting in love towards her, all right? And so he will lie to you about God and try to get you to misrepresent God to yourself and then to others, all right? And also, he, he will lie to you about you. <laughs> he will tell you stuff regarding you, how you really are and how God really looks at you, all right? In other words, he will tell you that you are unlovable. He will tell you that you are insignificant. He will tell you that you are inferior. He will tell you that, that, that you are irredeemable, all right? And, and he will do all these things and, and pose to you the idea that maybe God isn't that good for you. And see, if, if he can get you to believe that God isn't that good for you, he will get you to entertain the idea that something else might be better for you. It might be alcohol, it might be drugs, it might be sex, it might be anger, it might be uh, being a recluse, it might, it might be uh, living a life full of lies, it might be uh, developing some kind of strange self-image, you know, that you, that you uh, promote. It can be all kinds of things, all right? So first he lies to you about God, then he lies to you about yourself, and then he will lie to you about others, especially how other people regard you. 
I remember someone, they came to me, they showed me, they said, I, I, I'm going crazy. And I go, no, you're not. What's going on? And they said, no, I am going crazy. Something's wrong with me. And I go, what happened? I was at an event today, and two of my friends walked in. And one friend said hello to me, and the other one didn't. And I spent the entire event in the back room crying because I'm sure that this person is really upset with me and they don't want to be my friend and their friendship is so important to me and it just crushed me and I can't stand it and I don't think I can live without their friendship. I'm like, excuse the the phrase, but holy buckets. You know, come on. Did you talk to them? I couldn't. There's no way I could go to them. I, well, what, what happened? She didn't speak to me. I went in the other room, and I sat there and cried most uh, of the event. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. So, so you, didn't, you didn't go and, like, try to clarify anything. How could I? I couldn't do that. I was crushed. And I'm like, could I arrange a meeting? Could we visit with this person? I could never do that. You know? What's the enemy saying? You could never do that because... They've already rejected you. They don't, they don't want to be your friend. You don't risk anymore. You've already gotten hurt. Why would you risk anything? I said, come on. We got to do this, all right? Let's, let's just do this. Literally took that person. I said, let's go. Call. Hey, have you got a couple of minutes? Yeah. Meet us at Starbucks. Starbucks? I'm not going to be out in front of everybody like this. and go. This is an easy, safe place for us to go, all right? They're going to Starbucks, you know? Set them both down. I said, tell her what happened. And this, this woman is looking at her going, hey, what's wrong? And then she said the magic word, thank goodness. We're friends. We can talk. <laughs> you know, and it's like a little bit let down. She goes, well, at the event, you didn't say hello to me. And she's like, oh, my gosh. She goes, you know what? I, I saw you there. I was trying to turn my phone off. You know, like I was trying to get my phone turned off because I'm on call and I knew that it was going to buzz and I was going to be embarrassed, you know, so I was trying to get my phone off. And then when I turned back around, like you, you were like gone. And she's like, that's it? Yeah. I said, yeah, it is. And you just wasted a whole like three hours of your time sitting in a, in a basically a broom closet crying over this thing. And I realize that it's intense for you, but, but do you understand that you totally misinterpreted this? She goes, what's wrong with me? And I go, you had the rejection grid up. you got to get free of this. you got to take this grid down because this isn't who God says you are. Now she's the most confident lady you could ever imagine. And this does, never happens again, you know. She's, but she's living in a place of healing and truth, all right? And, and, and I, I remember talking to a guy once, and he went to a class in college. I wasn't in the class with him. He was just telling me this late, later on. He failed the class because on the first day of the class, the professor was talking about cowboys. He was using cowboys as an example. And unfortunately, the, the professor didn't have a great appreciation of cowboys. And so he just made a derogatory remark about cowboys, which was unfortunate, you know. But he's a professor in a liberal school, and he made, he made the comment. But this young man grew up in a family that was a rodeo family. 
And he personalized that. And he said, you know what I, what I did? I said, oh, he's already got my number. He already knows I'm a rodeo guy. And the professor didn't know he was a rodeo guy. But he didn't go back to class the rest of the semester. He just felt like he couldn't go because he felt like the professor had completely just ditched him and that he was going to fail. And the fear of failure complicated with the fear of rejection caused him to be paralyzed and he could not go to class. And he couldn't do anything about it because he was so stunned emotionally, physically, and spiritually. And so he failed a class in college as a result of that. Those are just two simple examples, but it's where we can land, all right, because we begin to believe lies about other people, and that's exactly what the enemy would love for you to do. You have got, come up out of the hole now, okay, all right, we're going to believe the truth. We're going to stand on the truth of who we are. We are sons and daughters of God, all right? We're redeemed. We're set apart. We're accepted. We're chosen. We're beloved. We're the apple of his eye. We're written in the palm of his hand. He sings and dances over us. He has loved us with an unfathomable love. He is amazing, this God of ours. And he has a gift for you, and that is eternal life. And I'm so excited because Aubrey is going to come and give us a good, solid gospel presentation here of what this Jesus has done for us. Amen? Amen. All right. <clears throat> so as Bill has been saying, our identity and our acceptance is in Jesus. And that's only possible because of what he did for us. We were created by God to be in relationship with him, and we rejected him. We chose ourselves. We turned our backs and walked away. All of us have done it, and we broke that relationship. But God was not content to leave us so far away from him. He sent his son Jesus, who was fully God, to become fully man and live among us. He lived a perfect life without sin, in perfect relationship with others and with God, and he showed us how to accept ourselves and others. He lived among us and then was sent to die for us. He took our sins, our rejection, onto himself and rid us of them. He died and was buried, but rose three days later, defeating sin, defeating death forever. And this is the way that he gave us to be in relationship with God again, to get that relationship back and to be in right relationship with other people as well as with ourselves. And that death, that sin, that rejection that has no power over us anymore because of what Jesus did. Jesus has promised to return, and he has promised to let us share in his resurrection. He has promised to restore the earth, to restore us, and to be with us forever. That is how far his acceptance goes. And so if this is something that you haven't heard before or haven't grasped before or are just struggling with a little bit today, the prayer team is going to come up and they're going to be here to talk with, to be prayed over. Um, and if you just need prayer for something, please come receive it. And I will close us now with prayer, and then you'll be dismissed. God, thank you so much for who you are, for who you have created us to be, for the love that you have for each and every one of us, for how much you accept us and will never reject us. And I pray that if that's something that we don't understand yet that you will help us today to understand that a little bit better, that you will always be with us, that you are faithful, and that you won't ever reject us. 
We thank you so much for what you have done and for the love that you have for us.